Welcome to the SBS Digital Learning Hour, brought to you by the Digital Learning and Assessment Department. We're coming to you today from a conference room in Central Office, bringing the latest news in Springfield Public Schools in regards to technology, along with inspiring interviews from teachers who are using technology in the classroom. I am your host, Mike Thomas, the Bearded Tech Ed Guy. You can find me out on all the socials at Bearded Tech Ed, my website, beardedtechedguy.com, and of course, the digital learning page here on my SBS. I want to thank you all for listening throughout the summer as we are going about the distance learning playbook. We're kind of doing a book review deep dive on each module inside of the book. For the past number of weeks, we've gone through modules one through seven, and this week we're on module eight, which means we are coming up to the end because there's only one more module afterwards. So module eight of the distance learning playbook sheds light on the importance of feedback and assessment in distance learning. Even though we are not distance learning here in Springfield, unless of course you're at the virtual school, a lot of the information is still critical to your classroom success in person. One part of the book that they argue for is that feedback and assessment are critical for student learning and progression. As a classroom teacher, if you've ever been in the classroom, If you are new to teaching, this might be something that you're not as familiar with, but for those of us who have been teaching for a while, we've all seen how feedback informs our instruction and our instruction informs our assessment. And when we are assessing, we are looking at what types of grades that we're giving. And hopefully, I know I tried to be as close to a mastery type grade that I could, even though that was not necessarily how here in Springfield at the time I was teaching was what we were doing. One of the most important things that you need to do for students is provide regular feedback. Doesn't matter the subject. I can always think of writing as probably the most easiest one to be giving regular feedback because you're writing comments back to them on their writing. But feedback is important in every subject. Students need to know how they are doing, what they're doing well, to give them confidence for the things that they are struggling with so that you can help them grow. Anytime that's when you are giving feedback, you need to make sure that there is positive feedback in there and that positive outweighs any sort of criticalness that the students might perceive the feedback you're giving them for their improvement side. I'm sure we can all think of it times when we've worked with students and We've been giving them feedback. We point out 20 positive things that they did and then a couple of things that they need to work on. They internalize that as a negative because you gave them two things they need to work on. And so that is something that you need to be well aware of as a classroom teacher. And that's even evident here inside of the book when you're talking about distance learning. I would even posit that giving feedback in a distance learning setting is probably more difficult because you're not there with the students. And if your feedback is only typed up feedback, there might be a tone that the students perceive that's not actually there. Or you have a tone that is there, but the students also don't pick up on that. It's very catch-22-ish, in my opinion. So if providing regular feedback is a key strategy because students need to know how they're doing, and how to make improvements. To make it regular, it needs to be timely. One of the things when I taught fifth grade that I loved doing, it was one of my favorite things, was the reader's notebook. 
Now, if you're not familiar with Fontas and Pinnell, one of the things that they would do is they would have what's called a reader's notebook, where you and the students would be writing back and forth about whatever they are reading. And so a couple of things. One, in my classroom, I always made sure that every book that I had in there, I had at least read. And for a long time, that was very true. I have, I mean, even now at home, I have probably 500 books that I had in my classroom, and I have read all 500 of them. I felt that that was important for me to be successful in being able to give them feedback because they would write to me about what they were reading. And if I had no idea what they were reading, then my feedback to them would be a little bit more difficult to reach. And so for me, to give them that feedback, they would write a letter, say, on Wednesday. I would do my best to get response back to them by Thursday or Friday, depending on how busy the week is, so that they could have that interaction where they're getting that feedback. It was one of my favorite things that I did because I felt like I got to really know my students. I got to suggest books to them that I thought they would really enjoy based upon our conversations that we got to have every week through this letter writing. Plus, for me, is a few different types of assessment in it. One was the writing assessment aspect to it. I could see how they were doing. It might not be graded on that, but they were being assessed because I could get that feedback from them. I could see that they were reading, which is also another part of assessing them. And I could see their comprehension because of having read the books they would write about, I could give them pointed feedback and or ask questions that I already kind of knew the answer to because I had read the books, but I wanted their interpretation of. And so it gave me a few different avenues to give them feedback in how they're doing and also ways to assess them because there's a couple types of assessment. There's the formative and then there's the summative. The formative are kind of like your quick checks that you're doing throughout. That's at least how I treated them. And then your summative was kind of your final project. So like the writing letters, that was more of a formative feedback because it was something that was ongoing that allowed me to peek into their reading level, their reading assessment, their comprehension, all of it. And so I like to think of using a variety of methods for feedback is important. If I were teaching now, that Fontas to Pinnell notebook would not be a notebook that I'd have to carry home. It would be a OneNote notebook because that tool is amazing for this. But then the neat thing that I could do is instead of writing, every so often we could make videos back so we can use inside of OneNote. You can either put a flip or you can even record your own video. And that would be a way of giving feedback. When you're remote, I would think, and I feel like the book even like puts an emphasis on this, giving feedback in a method that is more than just written. So giving some sort of verbal feedback is very important. And I, some of the methods that they talk about, the written, the verbal, they also talk about rubrics, offering different forms of feedback provides a comprehensive understanding of student progress and you can help foster some targeted growth. And also with your feedback, you wanna make sure that it's specific and actionable and essential. We could have a whole list of things for feedback that we want from the students, 
But if it's not specific enough, then it's not going to happen. For example, one thing I could think of if a student is writing a story, a creative piece of writing, perhaps, and you tell them you want more character growth on character A. If that was the only feedback you gave, then it's not specific and they don't know what you want them to do or what they should be doing for giving that character growth feedback for their writing. So in some cases, instead of saying we want more character growth, you need to be more specific in that. Can you show how the character has grown over time in your story? A lot of show, not tell. I think that's a really great way to use feedback with writing and getting them to write well. One of the things that I like that the book points out about feedback to your students is that a lot of times it's described as something that is underutilized in instructional approaches. Teachers will often say that they know feedback is useful, but they offer useful feedback surprisingly infrequently with most incidents consisting of general praise of a non-specific nature. Like, you've done a fantastic job, and it's usually only a couple of sentences, and that's according to a study from Vollmer, Meyer, Korthigan, and Simons in 2012. Because the purpose of feedback is to help close the gap between where the students are and where you want them to get to. So one of the things that in the book that I talk about is this idea of where am I going, how am I going there, where will I go next? So the where am I going is addressed through the learning intentions and success criteria. So that is when you are creating a well-crafted lesson. So think back to the last couple of modules here when we're talking about tasks and unit plans. The students knowing where they are going helps with being able to give good specific feedback. The how am I going there, that is what are they going to do to get there between what they're supposed to be doing and where they'll be going next. And so they really equate this to more of a social-emotional social, link because teachers and students need to have some sort of positive relationship. As I mentioned early on, if your relationship with your students is not positive, that feedback, whether good or bad, is not going to be necessarily heard the way that you're hoping for. And as we talked about in early modules, you need to be credible as a person to give feedback in the eyes of the student. And then the last part, and this is very true, I think, inside an in-person classroom more than it is a remote one, is that it needs to be your classroom a place where mistakes are okay. That it's all right to not be right the first time. Or that idea of that there is no shame in being wrong. I know this was always the hardest one for some students because of just outside circumstances to your classroom time. They had a hard time with making mistakes. Everything has to be perfect the first time or I'm not doing it. I don't know about you, but I've heard that statement as a teacher way too many times. And it's one that I always try to go back to starting the teaching year with talking about the idea of growth mindset and how we can make mistakes and we learn from them. Like what you've heard so far? Make sure you never miss the show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show.
One thing this whole idea makes me think of is back in 2019, I was at a tech conference and Michael Cohen, the tech rabbi, was speaking and it was awesome. I can't remember what the session was necessarily, but I always remembered having and keeping this saying in my classroom and anywhere I went, which is failure is the first attempt in learning unless reflection exists. Which again, I think goes back to creating that mindset for the students in the classroom that you're working with for feedback to be successful. So as an elementary teacher, I had the same students all day long. So I had constant ability to give specific individual feedback to students throughout the day. Now, if you're a teacher with more than 20 students, which many of you are, Giving specific feedback all day long might seem like your entire lesson in itself. And so that's where, as you're going about with whatever work the students are doing, using technology and utilizing technology can make feedback and assessments more efficient and effective. So like using an online grading system and rubrics are just a couple of examples of how technology can streamline the process and provide some valuable insights. When it comes to even leaving feedback, that's where creating short videos, because while you might not have in the course of the day a chance to sit down with every student, you can in turn make a two-minute video giving the student feedback on whatever you are doing. And that is one way that technology can come in. And I think during the early part of remote learning, using videos was a way to give feedback efficiently. And it's something that we can actually continue to do even now in the classroom, because most of us are still operating off of an LMS. Here in Springfield, we have Schoology. Schoology allows you to do that with whatever you are doing. You also have access to Flip. We are a Microsoft district. Flip is loved in this district. It's another way to give that feedback to those students. It's just a few ways that you can utilize the technology you have in front of you. You're not making star quality YouTube videos you can use your phone, you can use your laptop and just the camera and microphone that are there. You don't need a fancy setup to be leaving feedback for students. Don't let the restrictions of the technology in front of you be the reason why you don't use the technology because every piece of technology can leave good feedback. Another way that feedback is important is you need to be involving the students in the process. It gives them some ownership over their learning. So self-assessments, peer reviews, I know I did that a lot, especially with writing, and group discussions, that happens a lot in every subject I taught. I imagine for many of you, you do the same things. It allows students to reflect as they're going on whatever they're learning and make progress through those meaningful interactions. So now as we get about halfway through this module, they start to get into more specifics on things that you can do for leaving and giving feedback and assessment. One of them is they say virtual exit slips. We do exit slips all the time. I did them always in my classroom, whether it was either on a piece of paper or they had to quickly answer some a couple of questions on the computer where they were sending it to a discussion board or make a quick flip. So exit slips are very common. It's one of the ways that we can be giving feedback and you can be getting feedback from the students on the lesson because feedback is actually a two-way street. As a teacher, you need to be getting feedback from your students to know what, how they are understanding and what they're getting out of your teaching. A couple other ones that they use, 
that they talk about in here is uh, polling. So using some sort of poll, that's a great way to get some good feedback real quick. One that I really liked, um, they didn't spend a lot of time in here on it, which is this idea of virtual retellings. So retellings are used with elementary students for a variety of purposes, including fostering listening comprehension, oral comp composition, sequencing ability, attention, and memory. And for younger children, retelling allows teachers to determine whether a student can process language when the burden of reading a text is removed. And so one of the ways that they talk about it is read a short text to the student and then have them tell it back to you in their own words. I think that's kind of a cool one to check on. Like it's a way to get some good different assessments, but it's also feedback on to see how the students are doing. Another way of getting feedback that I don't think is often utilized enough is practice tests. Back when I was a student, we would have like a pretest to a unit and we go through learning the unit. Then there would be a practice test study guide at the end and then a final test, which essentially was the first test that pretest again to see how we did. I think there's a lot of useful information you can pull out of that. I know it might be like, oh, another test, but it, if you're doing it well and doing it right, it doesn't seem like another test. It's just a way to get feedback, especially when the students know that that first one is more to see what they know so that you can guide and inform the instruction. And then they talk about summative evaluations here too. And so that a couple of the things they say is proctor short exams in live sessions. Well, now that we're back in in person, not in purpose, in person, you can actually just give the tests in the classroom now. You can even have the test still be digital. So it does some of the grading for you and you get some of that immediate feedback. Students will get some of that immediate feedback. And one, a couple of things they point out here is some of the digital citizenship, digital citizenship stuff that you need to be making sure your students know and are learning about, which is the academic honesty and ethical decision making. That idea of if you're taking a test, you're not on Google Googling the answers at the same time because that's not quite honest. And I know that, especially in the high school, having talked with some high school teachers this past year in regards to Chad GPT, there's been a lot more academic honesty and ethical decision making that the students were not doing that they really need to be doing before they hand in their work. So the last thing they talk about here in this module is the idea of competency-based grading. So in an effort to end negative and ultimately futile cycles of learning and grading is to get down to this idea of focusing on the mastery of the contents and getting rid of grading things that are not a part of the grade, like the behavior aspects. So one of the things that they talk about is where Doug and Nancy, a couple of the authors here, employed their system of competency-based grading. Students received grades based on their performance on summative evaluations only, which there were about four to six per quarter. Assignments and homework are regarded as formative evaluation for both the teacher and the student and do not earn points toward the course grade. Of course, some students don't do homework. They are, as you know, students. However, in time, most learn the value of the practice, which allows them to master the content. So it's just a different way to be looking at grading. So after studying grading for a long time, a few of the things that they point out here, there's a, good, a bunch of good bullet points on page 164, where it says, with time, most students learn the value of their active participation in their learning. Relationships between teachers and students are healthier because much of the subjective nature of grading has been removed. It's really hard to implement and requires the revising these policies regularly to revise and improve them. And some of the changes that they've made over time was adding a separate but robust citizenship grade. 
that accompanies the academic grade, strengthening midterms and finals to include a cumulative knowledge for the semester, improving the parent-teacher conferences, and then also working with students who are struggling and carry a lot of incompletes. And they reiterate this as you get near the end of the section. Competency-based grading is difficult. It's not something that is clean and easy, and it's something that needs to be worked on. I think for it to be successful, and I think you kind of get that throughout the section too, is that it needs to be school-wide. If the school is wide is doing it then and everybody is buying into it it becomes easier to get the students to buy into it if different classrooms are having different ways of doing competency-based grading then it becomes more difficult and we don't want our feedback and grading and assessments to be difficult in that light now with every section of course i always read success criteria that they include for the module and so these ones i think are very important to continue to remember on the whole I can tailor my feedback procedures to my learning environment. I can enhance feedback using principles of social-emotional learning. I can identify formative evaluation techniques to check for understandings in any setting. I can identify features of my LMS that enhance summative evaluation experiences, which if you need help with that, here we have Schoology, and there are three of us in the district that are experts that can definitely help you in doing that. Then I can determine the feasibility and authenticity of my current grading procedure in the classroom. So now formative and some evaluations are essential in uh, the student's learning process and students when they are actively engaged in great feedback and they're making decisions and taking actions on the next steps that they need. The evaluative process is great for the students and they get a lot out of it instead of here's my work, give me my grade, here's my work, give me my grade, which is something that takes time to break out of because that is what students can be used to. Well, that's it. We're wrapping up module eight today. Hopefully you got a lot out of it. Hopefully you've got some new ideas on how you can be giving great feedback in the classroom or even improving your assessments. There's a lot of great information here. It might be a short section of the book, but it is one that is packed with a lot of useful, practical tools for being in the classroom. Thanks for listening to module eight of the Distance Learning Playbook. If you enjoyed this episode of the SBS Digital Learning Hour, we'd love for your support for the podcast. Please share it with others, post about it on social media, leave us a rating and review. Head over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you happen to be listening to us. Make sure that, of course, you're subscribed there and you leave a review, especially iTunes. That helps more people learn about all the awesome things happening here inside Springfield. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me out on Instagram, Twitter at Bearded Tech Ed or my website, beardedtechedguy.com. I'm Mike Thomas, the Bearded Tech Ed Guy, and this is the SBS Digital Learning Hour.